Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to yet another episode. I believe this is episode number 45 of the DBR podcast. I'm your host this week, Jason Evans. If I'm talking kind of quickly, it is because Sam Klein, one of our hosts, is uh, is waiting in an airport, and he's about to catch a plane. So we're going to have to do the podcast as quickly as possible before the uh, TSA comes and grabs Sam away. But with that, I should introduce my co-host this week, my partners in crime, Sam Klein. Sam, what airport are you in? Uh, San Antonio. It's lovely. Um, I, uh, it's a very, very clean airport, I will say, and they have lots of chargers, so I will not run out of battery while I'm here on the call with you guys. Outstanding. And also from Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Donald, by the way, I think just got back from a delightful Valentine's Day dinner. Uh, I was, uh, and I actually uh, spent all weekend delivering and setting up flowers to about half of D.C. So for all of you who got uh, D.C. flowers from uh, uh, Urban Stems, uh, that was probably me probably stabbing myself with thorns to make it delightful for you. Very, very nice. Very sweet. So uh, the Blue Devils gave... You're such such a wonderful young man. I try to be. Yes. (laughs) Speaking of Valentine's Day, speaking of Valentine's Day, the Blue Devils (laughs) gave all Duke fans a wonderful uh, early Valentine's Day present by defeating the Virginia Cavaliers 63 to 62. Um, a, a few days ago when we last did our podcast, I think I commented that the Louisville game was our biggest and best win of the season. I can now revise that. The UVA game is our biggest and best win of the season. Um, and uh, guys, I, the first thing I'm going to say about it, and then I'll toss it to you all for a little bit of commentary, uh, is four words that I've been saying over and over again to UVA fans that I know on the internet and elsewhere. And those four words are, no foul, no travel. Donald, what were your impressions of the game? Uh, so I, I, I was doing, I was delivering flowers and, and setting up flowers, and we watched the last like six minutes in real time um, of the game. And I, I would tell you, we have a lot of heart. Our, our game, our team has a lot of heart, and that was a game that could have easily been lost by like ten points. Um, but we somehow found a way every time that UVA tried to gain some momentum or try to put the game so somewhat out of reach, we were able to claw back. And I, I love the moxie that we showed down the stretch. And that's what we need uh, in this time of year. We're in February, we're in March, we're in the, we're in the games that really count. Um, and so that's what we need to see from our team uh, all the time. And I, I like that we, we showed that uh, yesterday. And, uh, and just to add on to that, I was going to say to add on to that, um, you know, as Donald points out, the team showed a lot of heart, not just, Team showed a lot of heart, but they showed a lot of heart. Where while basically only five guys got minutes yesterday, I mean, Kennard played here and there, and and I don't think we got a particularly good explanation as to why he didn't why he didn't sub in more. But I, I think that the basic tenor of it is that um, we needed the best perimeter defenders on the team out on the floor, and that's Jones and and Thornton and Allen, and those, so those guys had to play more because you had to be able to contain, as we pointed out, Virginia's very potent um, outside offense. And uh, and so it was really only five guys going against I think eight for Virginia, and and they showed um, as Donald said they showed a lot of heart on defense. Um, I, I guess I didn't realize that London Pranda had, had excellent hair. I wanted to just note that as an aside. Oh boy, the process has, has perhaps the best perhaps the best hair in the ACC behind Brandon Ingram, um, who I would like to now transition and talk about because oh my gosh, how special was Brandon Ingram on offense yesterday? Um, making shots from the outside. He made them from inside. He had, I think he had a couple dunks maybe. Um, there were some mid-range shots where he just pulled up and and and, and uh, sent those long arms right over his defender. Um, he couldn't be stopped yesterday. And I think that 
you know, he was obviously the key on offense to, to winning this game. In addition, I think, to the excellent defense that the team played, particularly on the outside. It seemed like for a well, stretch so- in the second – and there was a stretch of maybe, like, what, 10 minutes where it seemed like uh, Brandon Ingram scored, like it, – it's in my mind, it seemed like he scored, like, 47 points in a row, but it was really, like, 15 or 16. Uh, it was 18. It from everywhere. Number yeah, was 18. 18. But he did it from everywhere. It wasn't like he just hit a bunch of threes. He hit yeah. threes, he hit turnarounds, he hit dunks. Like, he, he did everything – uh, on offense that you need to do, uh, and he got his points in every single every single fashion, and, which was and incredible. Often, and it, and you know, as often as, as we as we try to play down the expectations on any you know any freshman or any kid who's going into the draft, I think that people like to throw out the comp for Brandon Ingram that he reminds them of Kevin Durant because he's a skinny dude who can score all over the floor. And didn't he kind of look like Kevin Durant yesterday? I mean, seriously. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, guys, I, I want to point out about Brandon Ingram, um, uh, as great as he, that 10-minute stretch when he scored those 18 points. And by the way, the, the, the significant thing there was the, the first part of that stretch, he fought us back into the game. We were down, I think we were down 11, maybe even 13. We were down, and to UVA, like being down four points is like being down 14 to anyone else because UVA plays such great defense and the pace is so slow. He, he brought us back, and then in the second half, the, the second half of that stretch he had, he gave us the lead. But Brandon Ingram went dead cold. They switched Malcolm Brogdon onto him. Brogdon had been covering Grayson Allen. They put Malcolm Brogdon on Brandon Ingram. And from the 16.07 mark of the game, 16 minutes and seven seconds left, till the end of the game, he was one for nine from the field. He missed the front end of a one and one. He had two turnovers. I mean, he was working the boards. He was playing hard. But his shooting touch was clearly off after... Brogdon switched to him, and and, and I, you know as much as we like to talk about Duke players, Malcolm Brogdon, all the props in the world. That guy played an incredible game. He was awesome on defense throughout the entire game. That shot he hit to give them the lead at the end was absurd. It was I, yeah, I don't and, even know. And, Go and ahead. I was say that he he wasn't he wasn't great on offense. You know, in the first half, I think that a, a lot of because of Matt Jones. Because of right. Matt Jones. Matt Jones was incredible. If yeah. you want to learn how to play defense, watch the way Matt Jones played defense on Malcolm Brogdon in the first half. It was amazing. And he, and he Matt Jones and, and Derek Thornton both have, you know, I, I touched on the on the perimeter defense, but Jones and Thornton in particular uh, play outstanding defense because as, as we talked about, you know, earlier last week, um, Brogdon and Prontes can, can score the ball really well. And Brogdon, as you point out, can go all over the floor, and he did in the second half of this game. Um, but, but, you know, that, that was part of the um, – Part of the key for Duke was containing him a little bit in the first half because obviously you can't you can't keep him down for an entire game. No, no, certainly not, guys. I want to go back to my initial statement because everyone is talking about the final play um, where Grayson Allen uh, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat on a play that every Virginia fan on the planet will tell you was a travel. And if you look at the replay, except. except- Except, Jason, ex- I, I would like to say, except for all the UVA fans apparently on the DBR board um, who are who are somehow the nicest group of, of opposing fans. Boy, they aren't they great? They so are great. so I, great. They've been so gracious, and they all agree. They agree with what uh, I said. No I no foul, no travel. <laughs> yeah. I, I, They're I always know, nice. I don't know if they even listen to the podcast, but, but, but if they do, shout out to all the UVA fans. Like, uh, there's someone who's Wahoo something, and there's a, someone Moss. All those guys. You guys are all great. You can stick around. <laughs> well, and, and Tony Bennett, speaking of gracious and great and, and accepting defeat, you know, in a play where they, I guess they could feel like they were a little bit wronged. Tony Bennett was incredibly gracious after the game. I mean, the, the reporters tried to bait him a little bit and say, hey, wasn't that a travel? And he's like, 
look, no, he said, he had a great line. He said, as I was shaking hands with Mike Krzyzewski, I said to him, I thought it was a travel. And Krzyzewski said to me, I thought it was a foul. So, and that's, you know, a really funny comment between the two coaches there. But Tony Bennett hasn't bitten to this one bit, you know, in a week where ESPN was already to brand um, Grayson Allen as the next white Duke player to be hated, which is disgusting. Can we we not? Yeah, I was going to say, can we can we talk as little as possible about that? That whole stupidity? Absolutely. Let's not let's not talk about it at all. He he will miss his flight if we talk about that. So let's not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So but but Bennett and the UVA people and the UVA fans have not gone there and props, massive respect. Uh, love the way UVA is handling what would be a very difficult situation. And I'm not sure, would we handle it quite as well as they have? I don't know. <laughs> See, I didn't think it was that close to play at the end. I didn't think it was that close of a, a, a walk or, or a foul or anything like that. But I will say that, you know, UVA fans are very, very, uh, they're passionate fans. They're very great during the game. They'll, they're, they're all on you and they, but they're in it in, in a nice sort of way. And after the game, they're, they're gracious in victory and defeat. They're not, the type to really rub anything in or, or take anything personally, especially when it comes to us, which is a, a very welcome change um, considering other times we play other teams, the ACC and, and they are out to kill us, you know, literally and figuratively. Well, and with that, what a fabulous, wonderful segue. <laughs> we will, we will move on to another team in the ACC. We're going to preview the big game coming up this week, coming up on Wednesday, um, we play the hated North Carolina Tar Heels. UNC has now, um, they, they are alone in first place in the ACC. They only have, I believe, two conference losses. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the Tar Heels are what we expected them to be this year. They, they're proving to be a very, very, very good team, although they've been down a little bit lately. Um, uh, had, a, had a couple losses and then had a game against Boston College where they really could have lost to BC. And BC is like far and away the worst team in the ACC. They then turned around today and they really put a spanking on uh, who, – who'd they play? Uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. They, yeah, they, yeah. They, 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 they crushed Pittsburgh. And, and I'm hoping that they had a really good game and then they'll go back to having a bad game against Duke. But, um, uh, Sam, let me start with you. Give us some impressions, some thoughts, some things we should look for against the Tar Heels. What, what are the key to this game? I mean, the big matchup in this game is obviously Brandon Ingram against Bryce Johnson. Johnson, I think, is, you know, between him and, and Cat Barber, those are probably the two leaders, and, and maybe Malcolm Brogdon um, for uh, ACC Player of the Year. And Grayson Allen. Really mature. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Grayson Allen may be a step below all those guys, still in it. Um, and, and from the Duke perspective, obviously, we have to hype them up. But uh, if you watch Bryce Johnson this year, Bryce Johnson is doing everything for UNC, and in a way that – you know, I don't think we exactly expected UNC. I think is, is as good as we expected them to be, but in a little bit of a different way because I think that a lot of people have been focused on Marcus Page, and for whatever reason, are still focused on the incredible like run that he had two years ago, and think that he's just going to come back to that. Um, I, I think where he was playing a little bit above his uh, above his ability. Um, so it's really been Bryce Johnson this year scoring for UNC, and and I wonder uh, the way that Duke matches up with him because. You know, Brandon Ingram's foul situation, I don't think he, he really didn't get himself in terrible foul trouble with the last game, but in a lot of games this year, I think the key has been Brandon Ingram being able to stay on the floor for 40 minutes, and against Bryce Johnson, he's going to have his hands full. Um, and and I don't think Marshall Plumley can, can guard Bryce Johnson. I don't know if Matt Jones has the size to do it. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Duke handles Bryce Johnson, um, be it leaving Brandon Ingram on him or trying to switch a bunch of different guys on him, um, maybe have a smaller guy get up in his face, um, 
like a, you know, like a Matt Jones. Um, that's going to be the key for them. And obviously, UNC runs a much deeper team than Duke does. They have they have a, a, a number of very talented players, um, of course, led by Johnson and Marcus Page. Um, so, like against UVA, um, how do you stay fresh against those guys with a limited talent pool? And you know, I think some of the folks on the board were. Uh, some of the folks on the, on the DBR board were talking about maybe uh, Neil Jefferson being able to come back for this UVA game. You know, the team had a few days off where they could have reintegrated him a little bit better, and obviously that didn't happen. I don't think anyone can reasonably expect for Jefferson to come back. So it's still going to be this six-man rotation, um, you know, provided that Kennard gets minutes again, which I, I think he should be able to because I don't think UNC has the same firepower from outside that, that UVA does. Um, but... Uh, so, so Duke's going to have to match up six on on UNC's like eight or nine guys, and, yeah, they, uh, and I'm, I'm curious to see how that works out. And they're going to have to do it in Chapel Hill, obviously, which is not quite as hard of a place to play as Cameron Indoor is for opposing teams, but um, but but can still get pretty intense. Uh, yeah, you're you're right about the depth being an issue. Carolina has nine guys, nine. Nine different yeah. players who play double-digit minutes, um, eight of them who play more than 17 minutes a game. They're an incredibly balanced team. You're correct that Bryce Johnson is the uh, is the main guy, but they have four other guys who average double, um, double figures uh, in terms of points. Um, they're a very tough matchup for anyone. Um, I, I want to, you know me and my stats, I just want to give you a couple interesting stats and things to look out for. Um, the place to be concerned about is rebounding, I think. Carolina leads the ACC with 38.2 rebounds per game. Um, they grab 38% of their misses as offensive rebounds. That's second best in the ACC only to Louisville, but that's a really big percentage. I mean, when they throw the ball up there, they go after it and they try and get it. And um, Duke has Duke has had some trouble with teams that, that really hit the boards hard. Um, you know, as you except know, we're very guys. thin. Yeah, except for you. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, UVA and Louisville, we did a really nice job on the boards against both those teams yeah. this past week. Somehow. Um, yeah, which which uh, would be wonderful. Now I'm gonna uh, the, uh, to me, one of the keys against Carolina is making them shoot from the outside. They are the second worst three point shooting team in the ACC. They only hit 31.6 percent of their threes. Only Wake, who hits 31.5 percent, is worse than Carolina. Um, and they Duke, jack by the up way, a lot of them too. They jack they've jacked up like 400 or something like that since um, um, this year. 400 three point attempts, and they're that wait, you, still that bad. Wait, Wake or UNC? I'm sorry, UNC. UNC is jacked up that many. Yeah, because Carolina does not shoot. Only 26% of their field goal attempts are for threes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are one of the least likely teams in the ACC to shoot a three-pointer. Um, uh, so they they actually don't shoot all that much. In fact, one of the things I noticed when I was looking at their statistics, um, the guy on their team who's made the most three-pointers uh, is uh, Marcus Page with 37, and then, I'm sorry, Joel Berry has 39, Marcus Page has 37, made three-pointers. If you compare that to Duke, uh, on Duke, yeah, that would be, that's like nothing. We have four, yeah. we have three guys who've made more than 50 three-pointers. Luke Kennard's made 37, Derek Thornton's made 22. I mean, the, uh, the guys on Carolina just don't shoot that many, and no one on the team, there's no one on Carolina who hits more than like maybe 35, 36% of their threes. They're just not a good outside shooting team so this is you know if if duke is able to keep carolina off the boards and prevent carolina from getting uh you know lots of easy buckets inside especially bryce johnson um then i think you know duke has a really good chance we're gonna have to shoot well um but if we if we do that uh, we've got a very very good chance in this game donald i've let you chime in about the tar heels go ahead what you got so so you guys talked about the stats a little bit i'm going to talk about the fan perspective and, and and just the eye test this game is a game that 
if you look at it on paper, we're supposed to lose. And it, this is a game that people will probably pick us to lose. This is a game that is a very ripe opportunity for us to, quote unquote, shock everyone and walk out of Chapel Hill with a hard-earned victory. And that's because UNC does not like playing big games. And I, I, I don't want to say the word they don't like it, but it, it's, it's a team that a lot of times in big games, they have a tendency to come out flat and, or not show up at all. And this is a prime opportunity for our team with our, you know, our five, five, six players that play you know, on a regular basis uh, to come out there and make a statement that, you know, last year it was eight is enough. That was the, that was the mantra uh, for the second half of the season. This year it could be six. And this is the game to do that. It's a game where it doesn't matter what the stats say. It doesn't matter what the records say. We're on even. We're on even playing field when we enter this game uh, against UNC, and I think that even while, while the paper uh, may say that we uh, are the weaker of the two teams that will be on the court on Wednesday night, we have a just as good opportunity to win. I think if we play with the heart that we did in the last, you know, eight nine minutes of the UVA game, if we play with that kind of heart intensity, then it's going to be a good game for us, and it will be one that we'll be in at the end. Yeah, you know, it's easy to sort of forget the past couple weeks and think that this Duke team is still a team that's struggling. Um, but, uh, and, and to say, oh, Carolina is the clear favorite in this game. I mean, look, Carolina's going to be favorite. My, my bet is Vegas will make it about a three and a half point line, maybe, um, maybe as much as four. Oh, no, I think, I, I think you're underselling. I think, I think Carolina's going to be favored by more than that. I do too. Um, but that's just because really? on paper they're going to be the yeah. best. That's what it's going to be. Yeah, they're, they're, what, number nine or ten in the country. They'll probably be a little bit less – uh, you know, maybe the 10, 11 range uh, come tomorrow. But I, I think the, the thing is they're going to sit there and say, this team should beat this six-person Duke team by, you know, seven, eight, nine points. And I and, don't think and, it's going to be that, that far. I think uh, it'll be something amazing. And actually something incredible about that is that if, if somehow Boston College managed to hang on and beat UNC, um, that line goes down a lot. But the fact that UNC, you know, managed to hang on to like a four-point victory in in uh, Chestnut Hill is like I think makes a huge difference because now it looks like UNC is on a winning streak. You know they they just romped Pittsburgh, which is another you know bubble type team, um, and then they they've kind of dug themselves out of that little mini slump that they were having. Um, they, I think they look a lot better, you know, in in the eyes of the maybe in the eyes of the of the gambling community than they, than they actually probably do. Uh, but well, well you know, I, so, so not I'll really our, not really our our main topic. <laughs> Right. So, so I'll tell you a couple things to, to counteract that. First of all, if you looked at Ken Pomeroy's rankings, Carolina is now the number seven team in the country. Duke's up to number 11, number 11 in the country. Wow. Um, and uh, ESPN uses this BPI. I don't even know how BPI is calculated, but ESPN puts everything on BPI. UNC's number one in BPI. Very impressive. Duke is number six. Duke is number six in the BPI rankings. Um, this is a Duke team that is rapidly improving. And ready? I'm about to go for some big stats. On January 25th, when we lost to Miami in that game where we couldn't stop Miami for anything. And I remember I came on the podcast right after that and I talked about how bad our defense was. We were 149th in the country in defensive efficiency. We're now 108th in the country in defensive efficiency. We've climbed 41 points over the course of four games. And remember, you're still considering the entire season in this. So to climb 41 points, 41 places in the course of only four games in a, you know, 20 game season so far 
We Our defense is way, way, way better. And guys, I want to harken back to last year. Last year in January, everyone thought Duke was in huge, huge trouble. It was we lost Rashid Suleiman. We were not playing good defense. Remember, we were like experimenting with zones. We couldn't figure out what was going on. And suddenly February rolled around. We started winning games. We started beating UVA. We started winning games on our defense. And we started playing great defense. And suddenly we were a national title team. I'm not saying that the same thing is happening right now. But boy, it looks kind of similar to me. Just at least a little bit. Am I crazy, Sam? I, I can, no, I, I, I think I can humor that. Um... I didn't realize that we had jumped that much in the in the Ken Tom efficiency, and I think that a lot of that is due to um, Jones and Thornton coming around. You obviously saw it um, yesterday against UVA, and that those guys are are key to the defense. I think it's also that um, that that you know again on Thornton and also on Ingram that they're coming into their own a little bit more, um, and that that I think they're just learning how to how to play defense with the other guys a little better. Obviously, when you have a rotation that involves a lot of freshmen and a lot of a lot of you know younger guys. And obviously, Grace Allen, you know, he had this great run in the tournament last year, but he didn't really play that much last year in, in during the regular season. He's, you know, he's kind of playing, um, you know, for the first time in his career, he's playing big minutes. And those guys are still, I think, getting integrated into the defense. And, and now, as you're, as you're pointing out, it's starting to show that they're playing a lot better now than they did even a month ago. And, and that, I think, is attributable to the fact that, you know, they're, they're finally getting used to the minutes and, and they're not wearing down at the end of games the way that they were very recently. Well, and the thing I love, by the way, is that they're getting it done on defense with the man-to-man. Like, we, we had this little right. phase we went through where we were playing zone a lot. And then remember against Georgia Tech, we got torched by the Georgia Tech without playing zone against Georgia Tech. And um, whether it was Coach K calling from his sick bed or whether it was uh, Mr. Capel making the decision on his own, we went to man-to-man in the second half and we, we torched Tech. And we've been pretty much playing man-to-man almost exclusively since then. Well, and I was going to ask, now that we know that we're playing a team that, that – gets so much of their offense from inside and, and doesn't really score from the outside. Do you think we see the zone come back or do you just see the, the, you know, pressure classic Duke man defense more and, and just with, with uh, more understanding of how it's supposed to work um, in this game? I think I we know, see, I, more, I think we see more pressure, um, but with a little mix of uh, zone to kind of keep UNC off balance. Like they, you know, UNC is not good at adjustments. They haven't been over the last few weeks and that's kind of what has taken them out of, uh, a lot of these ball games that they've lost or or have, or have come close to losing. So I think that's what Coach K is going to do. He's going to start with our you know our traditional pressure, uh, you know, man to man defense, and then kind of throw in these these one three ones and these two threes to kind of see how Roy reacts to those because he you know in in previous years when we've done that, uh, it hasn't always been the best reaction, and and the team has has faulted as a result. Uh, UNC Donald, has faulted you, as a result. Are you insinuating that Roy Williams doesn't adjust well as a coach? That's exactly oh, what I'm saying. The horror. <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> hey, hey, guys. So I want to I switch topic just a little bit. I know we're going to wrap up fairly soon so uh, Sam can make his flight. But um, uh, for weeks we've been talking about the key to getting Duke's defense back and the key to this team, you know, having a chance to really make waves late in the season. We all said was the return of Emil Jefferson. And, uh, you, you know, guy, I think, Sam, you alluded to it earlier. Um, a lot of people thought maybe he was going to come back for the Louisville game, that maybe he was going to come back for the UVA game because we had a big break before that. And, and now people are really starting to say, well, I, I don't know, is he going to come back at all? So let me put it to you guys. This is the question that's going on, um, you know, knowing, knowing maybe that this year's team is somewhat limited, at le- especially in a depth column without him. 
Do you want to see Emil Jefferson redshirt or do you want him to return? Donald, I'll go to you first. So I've been going back and forth with this over the last week or so when it's started to really become a major topic of conversation. Um, talking with friends has been the same kind of debate. In the end, I think I want him to redshirt. I will not be, uh, I obviously will not be upset if he came back, but I feel like I want him to redshirt for two reasons. One, he has worked his ass off and he has he deserves the the ability to play a full season for his senior season and he hasn't been able to do that uh this year uh and second next year we have a lot of new players coming we have a great recruiting class we're gonna have a great team coming back we maybe we'll be losing a couple of key players from this year it's going to be very important to have some great senior leadership in that locker room. And we have Matt Jones that will be coming back most likely. Um, it would really, really help that locker room to have Emil Jefferson still in the fold. So for those two reasons, um, and those two reasons really, you know, paramount, I would, uh, I would want him to redshirt. Sam, what about you? I take the opposite tack. I remember uh, a few years ago when Ryan Kelly went out for a couple months and then when he came back, he was such a jolt to the team. That was in 2013, is that right? And, um, and and he came back late in the season. I think he came back early in March, even, uh, wasn't even in February. And, and if not for, you know, that, that Louisville team rallying around Kevin Ware's gruesomely broken leg, um, you know, that Ryan Kelly and Mason Plumley team probably makes it to the final four. So I, I, I look back on that and I think what a jolt the the team gets from having a a star guy like that. Maybe star is not the right way to play, but describe it. Um, but such, a, such an integral player, a guy who can do so many different things on the floor on both sides of the ball, um, to have him come back into the fold, uh, I think would be a would be a huge help for this team. I think that you know we've we've seen them recently show that they have they have the ability to beat very good teams, but there's obviously something I think missing from this team. I think that there are you know the the margin for error is pretty small. I think if you put Emil Jefferson back in this team. They're, they're back to being a top 10 team. They're talented enough. They're now experienced enough. And guys like um, Ingram and, and Thornton and Kennard, and maybe to a lesser extent, although we didn't see him much against UVA, I think those guys um, those guys have gotten better because they've they've uh, you know gotten extra playing time from Jefferson being out. I think it'll make them all better um, to have him back in there to be helping, especially the defense, but, but also the offense. Um, so I want to see, see Emil Jefferson back. However, <laughs> I see Donald's point that next year, there's a chance that Matt Jones is the only junior or senior on the team. Um, and and that, that's kind of scary from a leadership perspective. Um, you know, this year we think we have a young team, and yet we still have Plumlee and Jones, um, and Jefferson obviously sitting on the bench. So um, the next year's team is going to feel really young. There's a, obviously a lot of talented guys, but, but there's going to be a lot of guys that don't have much experience. Um, you know, if, if Grayson Allen decides to leave, there's a huge void um, outside of Matt Jones in the, in the upperclassmen area. So... Um, I see both sides of it, but I, but I want to see Emil Jefferson come back this year. I want to see him lead this team. I think that they're talented enough to go pretty far in this tournament. So uh, my answer is, oh, my God, I, I, I cannot decide. But I think I lean toward having him return this year if – if we can get him back in the next couple games. I, I don't want I, – I hear you about Ryan Kelly. Um, and, Sam, you make a great point about that and, and, and how well Kelly played once he returned. But Yeah, and, and uh, I don't it, think – I would I, I just say before you finish that thought, I don't think that I, – I, I think I see where you're going with this, and I don't want him to come back because he's coming back to the tournament. It was going to be like Kyrie Irving. Um, right, exactly. Back like that was a special situation, Kyrie, and I understand yeah. why he came back, and uh, and I understand why Ryan came back. That that was – I also think those are special circumstances, and I think those teams – 
we're also in different, you know, worlds compared to the situation that faces our I mean, team right now. They weren't playing with eight players could, when Ryan Kelly was out. We weren't playing with you could, and, six. And, and, and you could argue that the team that Kyrie came back to got worse because they because it, it really disrupted the, the flow of the offense. Um, exactly. Nolan Smith went from having the ball in his hand to not having the ball in his hand, and it, it yeah, it, it fouled everything up for us, and then and then Arizona decided to hit 95% of their three-pointers for one day, and you right. know, yeah. that was that. But, but uh, you know, you guys have already anticipated my point. If we can get Emil back fairly soon, really integrate him back into the team, um, then, then I want to see it happen. But but if not, um, if it's going to be, you know, a couple more weeks, then then, yeah, if you know, if we're if we're looking almost at March, he should not come back, in my opinion. Um, he should red shirt. And and boy, would he be a hugely valuable piece next year. The one place where it looks like we might be a little thin missing some. Uh, you know, missing some uh, some ability next season would be on the interior, an interior defender, especially Emil Jefferson. If if he redshirts and comes back, Duke's going to be a clear, clear, I think, preseason number one, um, and and have a great chance to to hang yet another national championship banner. Well, and, um, but and that's also dependent. That, that's also dependent on Harry Giles. Obviously, we we assume that Harry Giles is going to recover well from his ACL, but yeah. you know, it may take him time to reintegrate into basketball, you know, situation. He's Absolutely. Not be able to play until the summer. And, you know, who knows how long it's going to take him to catch up to that. Because as I can tell you from experience, coming back from ACL recovery, while it is a, while it's something that, it, you know, the doctors are really good at and the PTs are really good at, and Duke obviously has one of the best programs for that sort of thing in the country. Um, it's still a long time to recover and to get back to doing your normal activity, you know, and that's for a, for me, a regular show, um, not Harry Giles, a a you know potential world class athlete. Correct. Yes. Yeah. All right. So so guys, we're we're getting close to wrapping things up here. Um, uh, even though there was only one game technically during the week because we did a podcast right after the Monday game last week, so there's only one game to refer to, the UVA game, and uh, we're going to do our player of the week. Sam, let's start with you. Who is your choice as player of the week slash player of the game for the Blue Devils I'm- this week? I'm going to take a guy who we didn't really talk about much during the UVA recap, which is Marshall Plumlee. He, um, he only got 10 rebounds, but he, he asserted himself, excuse me, he asserted himself very well on defense and on the board. Um, this UVA team is obviously very good at rebounding. They have multiple big guys who are, who are good at snatching the ball and, and Marshall did a great job of muscling them out and, and keeping the rebounding margin in Duke's favor. So, um, you know, he didn't score a lot of points. I think there was a, there was a point in the second half where, where Dick Vitale, um, bless him, was uh, was talking about how they needed to feed Marshall more down low, which is ridiculous because, you know, we know that Marshall has limited offensive ability and really needs to be playing off of other guys. But um, in in the limited, uh, you know, uh, time he got with the ball on offense, he, he scored a couple baskets. He did a good job rebounding. He did a good enough job on defense. You know, there were certain times where the UBA guys got around him. But given how many big bodies UBA can throw at the middle, um, Marshall Plumley helped him off pretty well, and I think that he was key in a sort of underrated way to Duke staying in this game. Well, you know, by the way, real quick props to Marshall. Uh, once again, he did not get in foul trouble, only two fouls this game. If you look yeah. um, at what he's done the past, you know, six or so games, he is like uh, – Georgia Tech, he got in a little bit of foul trouble, but other than that, he is playing, you know, close to 40 minutes a game banging inside he is our number one rebounder our number one interior defender and he's avoiding foul trouble and he knows there's like almost nothing behind him god love you chase jeter please come on and start playing 
plan better, baby. But um, wow, I, yeah, I, I, I think that has been an underlooked thing about Marshall, um, and I'm glad that that he gets a little bit of props from you, Donald. Your turn. Who's your player of the game? I'm telling you, man, the Marshall Plum. But, but first of all, the Marshall Plumley takeover has happened every game in the last like six games, as you said. So uh, no surprise that uh, it happened again uh, against UVA, and I and I and I really love seeing that from him. My three, uh, the three people I was nearing down to was one, the player who I thought dominated for most of the game, um, which was Brandon Ingram. Um, the guy who I thought was uh, dominating at the end, which is Grayson Allen, and the guy who I thought was just you know very good on defense and, and really gave us a lot uh, more than he has in the last few games, and that was Matt Jones. So I end up going with Brendan Ingram uh, for this for the case that I, I feel like without his little eighteen point in a row offensive thing, that really gave us the momentum that we needed to develop the heart that we used in the second half to win. So uh, with, with, you know, respect to the other two guys, I thought every, you know, I thought those guys and Plumlee had a great game. Uh, I'm going with Brandon Ingram. So Grayson Allen scored 15 points, including the game winner. He had two steals. He had seven rebounds and seven assists, seven assists. He was awesome distributing the ball. And Grayson Allen is not going to be anyone's pick as player of the game, player of the week, because I'm going with Matt Jones, who, um, you know, 50% of the game is offense, and all the stats you accumulate tend to be on offense, and everyone talks about the offense. The other 50% of the game is defense, and Matt Jones's defense has been great all year. We know that. That's what he is. But he's becoming almost Billy King-like, um, hearkening back to someone from my day, from the early 90s. Billy King, probably the greatest perimeter one-on-one -on -one defender in Duke basketball history. No offense, Tommy Amaker. Um uh, Matt Jones is getting close to that kind of level of defense. Uh, he was uh, awesome, awesome on Malcolm Brogdon in the first half, as we already mentioned. He covered Brogdon a bit in the second, but they also put him on London Perantis. It doesn't matter whether he's guarding a really big, strong, beefy um, uh, wing like Malcolm Brogdon or a very quick, very smooth point guard like London Perantis. Matt Jones can do it all. And oh, by the way, he was also four of five from three, put in 14 points in this game. I thought Matt Jones did it all. So I'm going with Matt Jones as my player of the game. And Grayson, please forgive us. You only played 40 minutes, seven rebounds, seven assists, 15 points in the game winner. Sorry, but we just didn't have room for but you, baby. He got, he, got, he got plenty of attention from other people. Um, we don't need to give Grayson Allen the props that he deserves. True, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, I know you have a wonderful parting shot. We're pretty much wrapping up here. I'm not going to do a parting shot. I'm going to let Donald do his parting shot, and then I'm going to chime in on it. Go ahead, Donald. So uh, we're watching, you know, as, as you're recording on, late on Sunday, uh, Valentine's Day, uh, we are, you know, I'm currently watching the NBA All-Star Game, and All-Star Weekend has been happening um, at the uh, uh, Air Canada Center in Toronto. Um, if you guys did not watch the slam dunk contest last night, which was Saturday night, oh my God. you missed – uh, everything. I actually missed it live. I was doing flowers all night uh, until about 11.45. So I got up early this morning to watch it because everyone was telling me it was a must-see event. And they were not kidding. Um, this dunk contest between Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, uh, basically going to, if you, if you call it, triple overtime, um, was one of the most fascinating dunk contests of all time. I think the only one that would rival it would be uh, 1987, uh, where, where Jordan faced off against Dominique Wilkins. Um, other than that, like this was the best dunk contest between two people of all time. Of course, there have been some some great dunks over the years and some you know better dunks uh, by individual players. Uh, but Aaron Gordon had probably the best dunk of the night with the one where he jumped over. Probably. The, 
Probably. Well, well, no, he well, had the best dunk of the night. He had the best dunk of the night. But here's the question. Seen. Here's the question. Which one would you pick? Because I'm going to go with the one where he jumped over the mascot and basically was in a looked like he was in a third grade uh, uh, desk, seated down, and grabbed the that ball under his legs and dunked it. But you could have picked pretty much any dunk that night, and I, I couldn't argue that it was the best dunk of the night. The still but, shot of him in the seated position, ten feet above the ground, is incredible. Yes, it's incredible. And also his head, and also him having to duck afterwards so his head didn't just get annihilated by the rim as he, he dunked looked, the ball. He looked like he looked like a he looked like a genie. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. And, and, and you know what? Like Zach Levine made jumping from the foul line and doing a three sixty and one uh, windmill through the leg uh, through the legs windmill. He made it look like uh, me trying to you know me dunking on a four foot rim. Like he made it look so simple. And I think that's kind of why people are like, oh, well, this dunk of the night, it was okay uh, to win the game. But, like, if you think about it, he made the – what year, a couple years ago would seem impossible. He made that seem like it was child's play. He made it seem like it was warm-up. And, and, and that's probably and, why and he that, won. On that Gordon – on that one Gordon dunk, I think the best comment I saw was how, like, um, like wondering how many kids were going to kill themselves on, on – Six-foot rims this week, trying to, trying <laughs> right, to exactly. Yes. Um, jumping over the stuffed genius. animals. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that that dunk was that dunk was the greatest dunk I've ever seen. I think that I mean that's up there with. Remember when Dwight Howard came out in the Superman outfit and like he raised the and rim and stuff. Twelve-foot rim. Look, yeah. I, I, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. With all respect to Al, or to Aaron Gordon, the two best dunks of all time belong to Vince Carter. That is the reverse 360 windmill, and that is him jumping over Frederick Weiss in the Olympics. Those are the two best dunks <laughs> of all time. <laughs> going over Frederick Weiss in the Olympics was pretty awesome. But I was going to say, how did Aaron Gordon not win the dunk where the where the mascot was spinning around on the hoverboard? Oh, that was so smooth. That's what I'm saying. That was so smooth. It was so like the, the the creativity was one thing, but the presentation from both athletes was just simply the hoverboard. Amazing. The hoverboard that was too much. It, it's just like it, it. it was just back and forth. Like Aaron Gordon would do some dunk that you're like, well, there's no way that Zach Levine can match this, and then he somehow did. It, I just don't understand how these guys can jump so high and do the creative things they did. Props to both and of them. It was, and it was stay outstanding. in the air as long as they can. Good God. Right. Yeah. So you know, pretty, it's soon we're, pretty soon we're going to have people jumping from the three-point line, like to dunk. Yeah. It's what's going to take to win a dunk contest, pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. So I, I heard someone commenting today on ESPN. They were talking about it, and and uh, you know, the same way you did, Donald. They they hearkened back to the amazing contest between Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins, which up until now has been considered the greatest dunk off of all time. And they asked a question. Let me ask you guys. Sort of think back on the dunks that Jordan and Dominique were making back then. What would those have scored today? Like eights? Yeah. I mean, probably. they just, but, you know, it, it's gotten obviously. so much more flamboyant. There, there's all this, there's all this accoutrement that they're now using, like hoverboards and mascots and and Superman outfits. But and that's 12 the, foot I mean, rims. that's the thing. That's the that's the the state. That was the standard back then. Back then, they were doing stuff that people back then could never dream of doing. It's just like you know, back in the you know, all the way back in the fifties and sixties, George Mikan's breaking rims and most of them, you know, you know you know, thunder, you know, is breaking rims everywhere. And people are like, there's no way anybody's going to match these guys. No one's going to be able to dunk better than that. And someone always takes that and inspires them to come up with something better. And someone's going to see I'm this actually, dunk contest and is going to somehow find a way to jump the length of the court and do like half court dunks. <laughs> um, 
years from now. And it's going to be the inspiration. You're going to say, I saw Aaron Gordon in a seated position over a mascot 10 feet in the air. And I was like, I need to do better than that. I, love I, I it. mean, the last few years, I feel like a lot of the commentary about All-Star Weekend is how the dunk contest is kind of losing its luster. And, and, and you know, the, the style of the game in general has moved more towards perimeter shooting and towards the, you know, mm-hmm. ball handling and all that kind of stuff. And, and I feel like this, this thing just like brought it all right back. Right? So it, I mean, it's, how, it's, how much ahead. cooler did dunking get last night? Much more than it's been the last like ten or fifteen years. It's so funny oh, yeah. that you mentioned oh, yeah. that because last night Kenny Smith during the three point contest, which by the way was also amazing uh, between Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and our own JJ Redick, that had a great uh, little thing. Um, they were talking about during that they're like this should be the marquee event because this is ridiculous between Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. And then at the end of the night, uh, Kenny Smith is like, you know what? You know how I was saying the three point contest should be the you know the the finale. My bad. This is this, <laughs> this was it. As long this as, as where long it was as supposed Zach to be. As long as Zach Levine is in there, then then the dunk contest is it's the, premier. It was uh, yes. The okay. two highlights of the night were the three. I mean, the three point contest was ridiculous in itself and it was overshadowed by that dunk contest which has rarely happened in the last five years and by the way i'd be perfectly fine if next year they just said okay no one else come let's just do zach levine and aaron gordon again you guys bring it again guys because yeah. there's no one they, those guys are so far ahead of everyone they should announce it tonight they're just like all right zach levine aaron gordon y'all got a year yeah right uh, <laughs> you start working now you got start a year it's not like zach levine's actually gotten any better at basketball in general the last right, you know, right. however long. Yeah, so, he's a second-year um, veteran, so and all he's done is won two dunk contests. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> hey, Sam, did you have a parting shot, or are we all done? I actually had, I had two notes I wanted to make. One, um, the first was about um, – so I, I mentioned earlier I'm at the San Antonio airport. Um, I just had Raising Cane's chickens for the first time in my life. Um, oh, wow. And I, I just wanted to uh, I just wanted to give a shout-out to, um, to Bojangles and Chick-fil-A and Popeye's. Um, you guys are all way better than raising games. Um, <laughs> so uh, I just wanted to note that I really, I, I especially miss being on the East Coast and and eating Bojangles chicken, which I did a fair amount in college. Um, Bojangles all so day. That was number one. That was number one. Although although I although we do have Popeyes and Chick Fil A in Colorado, so that's good. Um, but uh, <laughs> the second thing, which was I, I I was just thinking about it. Um, you mentioned JJ Redick being in the three point contest. JJ Redick now has a podcast. Um, it's been talked about a little bit on the DBR boards. I've listened to the first episode with Jared Dudley recently, and uh, it's really good. Or I thought it was really good, um, and I say that as a Duke fan. Um, I don't know how non-Duke fans will, will take the J.J. Redick, you know, being a uh, being sort of a pseudo-media member while he's still a member of the league. Um, but for Duke fans, I thought it was really enjoyable. So if you get a chance to check out J.J. Redick's podcast, that is after you have listened to us on a weekly basis. You can, you can go to J.J. Redick. Um, so I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to listen to it yet, um, but I, I enjoyed the episode with Jared Dudley a lot. I haven't, but I'm going to tee it up for tomorrow morning at work. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're a traitor. <laughs> you got <laughs> to listen to a competition. To our own cause. To our own cause, right? Right, right. Um, All right, well, um, I, I know your flight leaves in just a few minutes, Sam, so I, I'm going to cut us off. We're done. Okay. We're wrapping up for this week. Folks, we got a big game against Carolina coming up. Go to hell, Carolina. Go hey, to before, hell. Hey, um, hey, hey, before before we before yeah. we record next time, we are also going to play you uh, Louisville again. Um, but we obviously can't look ahead through UNC, so I don't even care. Right. Correct. You are correct. <laughs> we will have another. Yeah. We'll have another podcast after the Louisville game. Um, 
But for yeah. now, we are wrapping things up on this podcast. It's been a couple great weeks for the Blue Devils. It feels like they are back to being the team that we always thought that they could be this year. Um, it's really exciting, really fun. And Grayson Allen, you did not travel. No foul, no travel, baby. Um, I am Jason Evans for my colleague Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Thanks for tuning in. Go to hell, in. Carolina. Duke, Go to hell. Go to hell, Duke Carolina. Band. Duke Band. Take us home. <laughs> Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. <laughs>